Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Starting at verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I'd like to ask you this morning, what is it going to take for you to fulfill your destiny in God? Every person here has a calling. Every person here has certain convictions. As unique as your fingerprint is, you have been placed on the earth for a reason. And you know at least part of what that reason is by the things you're passionate about. For some of us, we're passionate about our business. Some of us, it's about bringing reconciliation to our families. For some of us, we're caught up with the desire to leave a legacy. Some of us just want to leave a mark on our neighborhood. I was with my friend Jordan at his ice cream shop, Fable Ice Cream, and now at Espresso, by the way. And we were talking about his neighborhood, and he said, I just want to leave a mark on this neighborhood. I just want the kids in this neighborhood to know that they were cared about, to know that they could have more than ice cream, that they could have hope for their future. So we all have a different role to play. We all have different desires. We all have a different calling. My question is, what is it going to take for you to step into yours? Is it something that you can do by yourself and for yourself? We live in a world where we say unironically that other people should pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Have you ever tried to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps? It doesn't actually work, because you're standing in the boots, the straps are connected to the boots, and when you try to lift yourself up, you don't go anywhere. You just stay where you are, but you look rather silly while you're doing it. One of my joys as a parent is watching my children, especially my son, figure out how to put on his own shoes. He sits down on the stairs. And he's determined to figure out which boot goes on which foot. And then it's like it's the shoe's fault when the shoe doesn't go on his foot properly. And he just gets frustrated and he grabs the sides and he goes, And I'm like, wow, I've never struggled that hard about anything over the past year. But he just cares so much to do it on his own. 
There's a certain thing about autonomy. There's a certain thing about self-reliance that's not wrong. But then there's another component about independence, self-reliance, autonomy, that can actually be quite dark and sinister. But in our culture, we've made it noble. We celebrate self-made men and women. And we don't really think about the consequences of stepping into our calling and whether or not it's right or even possible for us to do what God has called us to do on our own. So, because I would like us to minister to one another before we go, I'm just going to jump ahead and spend less time building this idea and more time just getting to the punchline. If Jesus, the Son of God, did not start his own ministry, but was rather released into ministry by John the Baptist, then so too must we walk with other people who see us for who we are and release us into our destiny. If Jesus needed someone to spot him on the riverbank and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then you and I need people in our lives who see us for who we are in God and who call us out on it and call us up into the future we have, the destiny we have, the calling we've been given. So to give you a little bit of context, earlier on in the gospel story, we have this story about the Virgin Mary being betrothed to Joseph. She becomes pregnant with God's son. Being pregnant is intimidating enough. When you're giving birth to the Savior, it's a whole other ballgame. So she goes to the one person she can trust, the only other person who's having a supernatural pregnancy. And when she gets there, the baby in that womb and the baby in her womb leap in celebration at being around one another. And these are, of course, the cousins, John the Baptist and Jesus. Now we fast forward roughly 30-some years later. And John has this ministry. Jesus will later call him the greatest of Old Testament prophets. The greatest figure in the Old Covenant. He's got this ministry where he's on the banks of the Jordan and he's saying to the nation of Israel, Behold, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. You think God has chosen you because of your pedigree, because of your genealogy. I'm here to let you know that everything is about to change. And that you need to change the way you think and repent and be baptized in order to be ready to receive what God is about to do. John is this wild man. And he begins to proclaim that a Messiah is coming, one who is coming that is greater than he is. And then you've got to catch this, because this, there are these comical moments in the Bible that sometimes we just brush right by. The guy he spots and says, that's the Messiah, that's the guy, is his cousin. You don't think that he would have noticed something at like one of the family reunions? 
they're having like a family movie night, and the popcorn doesn't run out. He's looking over like, hey, cuz, did you, I ate the rest of this. Did you, did you just go and pop more? Uh, I don't know. Are you following me? This is not a stranger to John. This is his cousin. And this is not, this is not some distant family relative. This is the same person when he was in his mother's womb. He leapt at the presence of. So for whatever reason, maybe it was the Holy Spirit covering John's eyes. Maybe John was just so busy proclaiming the end of something that he didn't notice the beginning of something else. But for whatever reason, John, until this point in the story, has not noticed Jesus for who he really is. And I'd like to suggest to you that that's my problem and maybe your problem. Is that you have people in your life and the issue is that you're familiar with them. Have you ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Contempt is such a dirty word, but before contempt, is the judgments we are comfortable with. It's looking, in something, it's looking at someone and saying, I know who you are when you don't. See, Jesus to John, until this point in the story, is cousin Jesus, not Messiah Jesus. And I don't blame John because there's a whole bunch of people in my life that I see through the lens of familiarity. And I don't feel contempt for them necessarily, but I have prejudged them and measured them and I have found them wanting. I don't see them the way God sees them. I don't see them the way their calling and their destiny has named them. I see them from the experiences I've had with them. We talk a lot about the nature of prophecy. Some people think of prophecy as like a fax or a telegraph from heaven. And it feels very intimidating to speak prophetically over someone. Has anyone in the room struggled with hearing God's voice, wondered if God is speaking to them? Am I the only one? There's a couple of nods. It feels intimidating to speak on behalf of God, but what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is, before we talk about hearing God's voice, we need to talk about what it looks like to identify the people in our lives that God has given us for who they really are. Because it might be difficult to reach into heaven and get a word for a stranger. But if you believe that the relationships that are in your life are given to you as a gift by God, and if you are humble enough, and honestly, repentant enough, to not see people through the, the lens and the judgment of your experience, but rather to see them for their calling and their destiny in God, then you can rediscover people. And not only can you rediscover them, but I'd like to suggest to you that if Jesus' ministry couldn't start without John the Baptist identifying him and calling him out, I believe there are people here who cannot move forward in God until they are called out by someone else. Psalm 72 says that God sets the lonely in families, 
which means that God actually gives you relationships. You didn't end up with the people you ended up with by accident. The people that are in your life are in your life for a reason, and you're in theirs. And I'd like to suggest to you that hearing the voice of God should start with asking God, how can I see the people in my life differently? Because everybody in my life is seen a certain way, and I go right along with the crowd. I'm just being vulnerable with you. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to see the people in my life, not through the lens of my familiarity with them. I want to see the people in my life through the lens of God's truth, of God's destiny over their life. And I want to speak words of affirmation and encouragement to who they really are. Not just how I've seen them up until now. So think about the absurdity of this. John is saying, there's going to be a Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to transform the nation. He's going to bring the people back to God. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. And oh, today I realize it happens to be my cousin. What happens? John is so overwhelmed by the, by the profound nature of who Jesus is now revealed to be, that when Jesus comes down to the river, he goes, I want to be baptized. And John goes, no, 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 no. You have this mixed up. See, you're the Messiah. Like, I'm getting these people ready for you. These are the dirty hippies that need to be washed. You're not a dirty hippie, Jesus. They need to repent to receive you. What do you have to do getting baptized by me? I'm not even worthy to touch your shoes. Jesus says, permit it. He's asking John for permission. He's submitting to John's ministry in Jesus' life. He's saying, permit it to fulfill all righteousness. See, we get baptized in the water because Jesus was first baptized in the water. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ because Jesus' death is our death and Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. The gospel is how one per, the, the story of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King, is lived out through me. My life is just a resonating ripple of something that happened 2,000 years ago because the gospel is not me telling you what happened in the past. It's not just one more historical event in a list of historical events. It's the present reality of how the life of God is expressed through me. So when Jesus says, permit it to fulfill all righteousness, he's getting baptized not only on behalf of, of himself to be in submission to John, but he's getting baptized on behalf of all humanity. And what this also means is that righteousness is better understood as right relationship than right behavior. Because Jesus didn't need to be baptized to be cleansed of sin. You understand that, right? right. So if Jesus comes to the water and says, permit it to fulfill all righteousness, it must mean that righteousness has something more to do with being rightly aligned in relationship than it does just with being purified of sin. 
So Jesus wants to be baptized to be in right relationship with John, and he needs John to permit the baptism to happen because Jesus won't start his ministry without someone else affirming him and sending him and releasing him. So if the Son of God does not save the world, does not even begin to start saving the world without submitting to someone else, then what if the only thing keeping the person you're sitting beside from happening to the world around them is the fact that you haven't yet identified them and called them by their true name. What I'd like to suggest to you is simple. The reason why we gather together is to see people for who they really are in God and call them up to it. We're not strangers just throwing words around. (laughs) We are here to encourage to edify, to exhort, to honor, to build up one another in the most holy faith, as Paul says. You may say to yourself, well, I don't know how to hear from God. I don't know how to speak on his behalf. Start by honoring, valuing, loving, and affirming the person you came in the room with (laughs) for who they really are and not just for what you're familiar with. Because like I'll be vulnerable with you. I don't, I don't always see my wife in her magnificence. Sometimes I come in the room with my wife to church. And it's like, it was a stressful thing getting the kids together in the morning. And we may, may have had a conflict before. Is this making sense to anyone? Some of you are like, no, we've never, I've never fought with my wife. Like, that is the, really? You guys had an argument? I'll pray for you. (laughs) See, Jesus didn't just submit to John. Jesus actually submitted to his hometown. Did you know that? You know where Jesus actually first pronounced his ministry? He went into his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me, and then he goes through the prophecy in Isaiah, right? And it says that they marveled at his gracious words. It was like their heart was open to him. And then the very next verse says, someone in the crowd said, is this not Joseph's son? So he went from being the Messiah, where everyone in the room is like, wow, something is happening here too. Oh, wait, no, sorry. You're just the carpenter's kid. See, what I'd like to suggest to you is very simple. We gather together, we bring who we think we are to people who love us enough to affirm who we actually are. And it's their word that we submit to that causes something to come alive in us, something to catalyze in us and burst forth into the reality God has designed for us. I would like to suggest to you that there is actually things hidden in you for other people that they cannot get in God on their own. And there are things in the people in your life that God has given you. Remember, if you just think, I ended up in these relationships by accident, you'll never see it. But if you think, wow, every person in my life is given to me as a gift, what did God hide in them that he means to give to me and I can only get it out of them through honor? What sort of treasure could I discover in you if I could just see you as you are and if I could hear your words and and bring your affirmation into my heart? Until we submit to one another, we will never receive their honor the way it is meant to be received. 
We don't have time to go there, but in James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20, it's our lectionary text for today. James is encouraging a broken church that has moved into judgment, has moved into injustice. He is calling them back to the high calling in God, and he's telling them to begin to minister to one another. He's saying, if there's anyone sick among you, pray for them. Have the elders of the church lay hands on them, and then they'll be healed. And not only that, but their healing will be a sign that their sins are forgiven. Which means some people don't actually believe and experience the forgiveness of sins until God encounters them supernaturally. But then he says something very interesting that has so rocked me. He says, James says, and confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. See, I used to think that righteousness was about me cleaning up myself on the inside by telling God how I was wrong and how I was sorry, and that would make me morally pure, and I could call myself righteous. And what James affirms is what Jesus practices with John, which is relational, the relational expression of righteousness. Righteousness is being in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. James is saying, your sin has fractured all your relationships. You've hurt people. You've offended them. You've carried unforgiveness towards them for what they did to you. So when you confess what you think you are to other people, you can be healed and become who you truly are. The healing is not just in the physical body. The healing is in the relationships. Because God has set you in a community for a reason. He's made you a gift to other people, and he's made them a gift to you. And it's only as we honor and see each other for who we really are that the body becomes aligned. We are called the body of Christ, not the blob of Christ. A body is aligned in a very specific way. The knee bones connected to the red thing. The red thing's connected to my wristwatch. Oh, no. (laughs) It's a Simpsons reference. We're aligned in a very specific way. You can't be friends with all 200 people here. Just letting you know, you don't even have to try to be friends with all 200 people here. The body is connected in a very particular order, which is why we always say around here, we have to ask ourselves, who am I called to keep and who is called to keep me? Who am I given to and who has been given to me? To identify that you're part of the body means to come into alignment with your closest relationships. And when James says confess your sin to one another, he's not talking about setting up an accountability group. I'm all for accountability groups. But what this actually means is bring and confess what you think you are to someone who knows better and can call you up to the high calling of Christ. Do you have anyone in your life who can disagree with you and tell you you're wrong and you'll believe them just because they said it? If you don't, I'd like to suggest to you that your relationships might be out of order. I I literally have people in my life, when I'm struggling, I go to them and I say, here's what I'm struggling with. I am feeling like boom, 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 and I just confess it all, right? I just dump on them. It's like just, you know what I mean? Have you ever been vomited on? I'm, I'm I'm letting you know I have people I vomit on. I just, bah, okay? This is generally speaking where it stops. Whew, thank you, I feel so much better. Have you ever noticed after you throw up, you feel better for like 15 seconds? You're like, I'm not sick anymore. It's amazing. Woo, let's party. And then it's like, 
the chills hit you and you're like, oh, I'm still not doing well. See, oftentimes we confess to one another because we want to be morally pure, but we haven't been made relationally right. You need to talk to someone about who you think you are, and then you need to listen to them tell you who you really are. (laughs) And until you do that, until you experience the truth of God's reality and God's destiny over your life from the lips of someone else, from a cousin like John the Baptist, you'll never be fully released to do what God called you to do. So, here's what I'd like to do with the seven minutes we have remaining. <laughs> we generally close at 12.30, and I want your kids to have a chance to you know, finish their craft, right? Might as well take some time to just change some lives, maybe, if we just want to spend the seven minutes having fun in the presence of the Lord. Here's what I'd like us to do. I would like us to minister to one another. And you may say to yourself, I was not equipped for the ministry this morning. Thank you very much. I came planning on listening to some worship music, listening to someone preach, saying a couple of hellos, giving a couple of smiles, and leaving. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you are part of the body, which means that you have a function and a role to play that no one else can. I can't do it. I'm just one part of the body. I'm as important to the body as you are. No more, no less. But I cannot connect with the people you are connected to. I actually can't sit with all the people you're sitting next to. Isn't that crazy? I can preach to everyone in this room, but my butt only fits in one chair. So here's what I'd like to suggest to you. I would like to suggest to you that you and I before we, before we figure out how to speak grandiose words of knowledge over one another, before we figure out how to prophesy with the thus saith the Lord's and the thou has been called to the, but the... Before we get there, we'll get there, but before we get there, I would like to suggest to you that the nature of prophecy and its role in building up the church is the simple willingness to see the person you are with in the eyes of the Spirit, and to affirm them for who they really are in God. And I would also like to suggest to you that you will not get into your destiny until you are willing to listen to how someone else calls you out and submit to it. Hey, you're amazing. You're just so great. God has called you to do great things. Yes, thank you very much. That's wonderful. Thank you. Probably just says that to everyone. Have you ever done that? I've done that. I've taken the words people have spoken over me and I have dismissed them, not submitted to them. So we're going to pray for one another. And I'd like to call you up to this standard. The standard is simply this, that you would see people for who they are in God and you would call that out in them. Who knows? Maybe someone that you have dismissed or relegated or considered ordinary is actually quite extraordinary. And maybe, just maybe, you've been put in their life for this reason. Now, if you say to yourself, I don't know how to do this, I'm just saying, you know, I don't either. And it took like, it took John the Baptist, who's a pretty important dude, 30 years to figure it out with his cousin, okay? So we're all learning, all right? 
You're like, this is really hard. I know. It's crazy hard. This is why we do this all the time. We gather together to build one another up. It's the nature of the church. Welcome to the reason we exist. <laughs> We're not going to do it all, everything all at once. It's like, wow, one Sunday on September 30th and 300 people stepped into their destiny. We're going to take it off in bite-sized chunks and pieces, okay? But your voice is more important than anybody else's for the people God has given you. That's why they're in your life. They can't pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. They can't lift themselves. They need to hear you speak the Father's word over them. John creates the context for Jesus to be baptized, and then what happens? The voice from heaven says over Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Ultimately, it's not your words that do it. It's the Father's words. But your ministry, your honor sets the context. Being in right relationship sets the context for this to happen. 